entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Welcome to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for non-stop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. I'll be your host for this podcast series. For today's episode, we are going to be talking about the second act program at the Palace Theater. And my guest today is Dorothy Lyman, who will be at the Palace on Wednesday, April 27th um, from 3 to 5 p.m. And Ms. Lyman is best known for her work on the soap opera All My Children on the sitcom Mama's Family, but she is also a director and producer and playwright. So we're going to talk about all of those things here on the Broadway Buzz. So welcome to the program. Thank you. You started off appearing on many soap operas, starting off with Another World. How is that for a young actress in New York? Actually, the first job on a soap I ever had was on a show called Search for Tomorrow. And I used to watch that as a child. And at my first day of work on it, and I had a, quite a small part. I, I didn't even have a last name. My character was hired to be the confidant to one of the young leading women on the show. So once a month, they'd have me on so that she could tell somebody things. And I went up to the leading lady who had been the star of it for many years. And I've forgotten her name, of course, Mary something, I think. And I said to her, oh, I used to watch you when I was a little girl. <laughs> well, it didn't endear me to that actress at all. Let me put it that way. Then there was a show called The Edge of Night. And that went live at 2.30 every day. And it was the last show to go to tape. So when I did Edge of Night, it was live. And I got my break on that show because an actress went skiing and ran into a tree and her face was in no condition to do her part on the soap. So they called me on a Sunday and said, come in and play this girl's part on Monday. You know, they then made a little announcement that the part of so-and-so will now be played, you know. So for three weeks, I played this other girl's role. And then uh, about eight months later, they called me and offered me a role of my own on that show. And that really started my soap opera journey. So in all, I think I've appeared on five or six soaps over, over the years. That was my first big part was on the edge of night. And I, I won the best newcomer of the year award from Soap Opera Digest or something. And then I did Another World for four years. And I played a, an architect. And I used to get letters from young women saying, you know, I decided to go to architecture school because I watched you on that show, you know. So I realized what a huge impact soap operas have uh, had, you know, maybe not so much now, but in those days, daytime television was basically soaps and game shows. And that was it. I realized that the soap was one place where a woman could actually be the lead. The stories were all about women and men were simply what we referred to as our handbags. You know, they were there to marry us or divorce us or terrorize us or simply to support the women's storyline. So it was just a great training ground for a young actress. And then I was lucky enough in 1981 to 83 to play a character called Opal Gardner on All My Children. And I did win two Emmy Awards for the two years that I was on that show. And that caught Carol Burnett's attention. She and Vicki Lawrence used 
watch all my children every day during their lunch break from the Carol Burnett show. And when Carol decided that she didn't want to do the Burnett show anymore after like 11 seasons, they created the show called Mama's Family for Vicky, but also to keep the 200 crew members who had worked for Carol and her husband, Joe, in work. You know, she didn't want to throw the crew out of work simply because she didn't want to do her variety show anymore. So they made Mama's Family. And one day I was in my little apartment in New York City and the phone rang and a woman said, hi, this is Carol Burnett. How would you like to come to Hollywood and work with us? And I was like, oh, yeah. Which one of my <laughs> crazy friends, you know, is pulling this on me now? And she said, no, this really is Carol Dorothy. And we, we, Vicky and I watch you and we just think you're great. So that's how I got out to California, which is where I'd always wanted to go. You know, the first time I flew into LA, I immediately wanted a house with a pool and a big car. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> all of the things that Hollywood promises you. So um, that started what probably was the second act of my career, my 20 years in Hollywood after starting my career for 20 years in New York City. And after 20 years, I moved back to the East Coast. Did you feel that the live aspect of the soaps really gave you some solid training where maybe like today's actors or actresses don't because everything is taped and retakes. But here it was almost like appearing on a daily sort of Broadway stage because it was live. Right. It was a great experience. And if you forget, you're in front of millions of people. <laughs> so you better be quick on your feet, you know, and we all had each other's backs. And uh, the only time that I actually forgot my lines was one time when I couldn't see the teleprompter because they did have a man standing with a like a scroll um, and the lines would roll on the scroll. And so you could always glance and you learn to look at the teleprompter when the light was on somebody else's camera, you know, because a red light on the top of the camera lights up when it's pointing at you. So you learned pretty quick when when the camera was on you and when it wasn't. Was that the start in a sense of your directing career? My directing career began with an off-Broadway play called A Couple of White Chicks Sitting Around Talking by a wonderful now deceased playwright called John Ford Noonan. And Johnny was a friend of mine. And he asked if I would produce this two character play. And I said I would. And I hired somebody else to direct it. And I got my friend Susan Sarandon to be in it. And on the strength of Sue's participation, Eileen Brennan joined the cast. And after two days of rehearsal, the young woman stage manager that I had hired called me up and said, this director is ruining your project. I mean, she's wasting your money. It's, it's just, it's awful what she's doing. You've got to get down here. And so I went down on the third day and watched the day of rehearsal. And, you know, the only time she laughed was when like Sue accidentally tripped and fell down. I mean, it was just awful. So at the end of that day of rehearsal, my producing partner took the director off in one direction to fire her. And I took Sue and Eileen to dinner next door and said to them, will you give me a chance to turn this around for you? Let's take the weekend off and come back together on Monday. I will take over the directing and we'll see. And I said, and after you've worked with me for a few days, if you're not happy, I will pull the plug on this and send Eileen back to California and I will just give the money back to the people. And so that weekend, I read Harold Clerman's book on directing, which basically told you what to do on day one and then what to do on day two and what to do on day three. And I completely redesigned the set. I called the set designer, said, don't cut any more boards for that hideous set that the other director wanted. We're going to redo everything. And I 
took all the tape marks up off the floor and changed the feeling inside the theater for them. And it became a huge hit. And it ran for a year off Broadway and then did a year's national tour with Elizabeth Ashley and Susan Anton and became one of Samuel French's top 10 best-selling plays because it was a two-character play for two women. And in those days, there weren't that many of those. And it was a darn good play and really very, very funny. So that is what made me a director and a producer. So when I got out to California, Mama's family, you know, uh, I had been observing on the soaps uh, during the time that I was on All My Children, uh, Jackie Babbin, the producer, was kind enough to let me hang in the control room. So I really learned by observing what to do. And so when I was on Mama's Family, I said to them every year, I said to my agents, see if you can't get me an episode to direct. Because that director, he did show me how to prepare a script and how to write the shots and everything. So I knew I knew what to do, but every year it was a deal breaker. They would not give me one to direct the whole 136 episodes that we did of Mama's Family. So after Mama's Family went off the air, you know, I opened a little theater in Hollywood. I, I, I renovated a warehouse and turned it into a, what they refer to as out there as a waiver theater, a 99 seat or less space. And I gave some acting lessons in order to finance the productions. I did... I only hired women directors and did new plays only. And a lovely gal showed up to take my acting class named Fran Drescher, who at that point had a crouton business. She and her husband baked croutons and packaged them and sold them. And eventually Pioneer Foods picked that up from her. I mean, she was could be successful at anything. You know, she's president of the Screen Actors Guild now, our Fran. So... But at, the, at this point, when I met her in 1981, she was not famous yet. And she and her husband were writing things and hoping for things. And we became really good friends because we lived in the same neighborhood at Hollywood. And we'd go get our nails done. And, you know, she was a great cook. And so was I. And we, we had a lot of fun. And then she got the nanny. And after the first season of the nanny, she called me up and she said to me in November, if you'll agree to sit here and observe this whole season, I will guarantee that you get an episode to direct and maybe you can use that to jumpstart your your TV directing career because she knew that's what I wanted to do. So I did. I sat in the control room from November. And then in February, suddenly I noticed everybody was turning around and looking at me. And I thought, oh, no, you know, what's wrong? They're going to ask me to leave their tired of me hanging around here. And the associate producer said, Dorothy, come out, come on, I want to talk to you for a minute. And she took me out in the hallway. I was fearing the worst that I'd done something wrong. And she said, you know, our director um, doesn't want to continue next season. So we'd like you to direct next week's episode. I said, oh my God, <laughs> you know, really? <laughs> she goes, yeah, here's a script. So I did it. And that show got the biggest laugh spread of any nanny that they had done up to that point. So on the basis of that one show, they gave me the last three episodes of season two and hired me for all of season three, all of season four, and all of season five. I did 75 consecutive episodes of The Nanny. Fran liked the continuity of one director. Most shows have a rotation of directors. You know, you'll do two or three and then somebody else will do some. But uh, Franny wanted one person. And so that luckily was me. It was just a great, great fun experience. Dorothy, I'm going to stop right here because we're going to go and uh, hear a word from our sponsor, Webster Bank. 
So okay. let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and hear more of this fascinating background that you're bringing to the second act at the Palace Theater uh, later this month. So we'll be right back with Dorothy Lyman. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones. Whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love, Webster will help you take your next steps on your time. We're back with Dorothy Lyman, who will be appearing at the Palace Theater's second act. And that is on Wednesday, April 27th at 3 p.m. You can contact the Palace Theater, and that is palacetheaterct.org for information about the presentation. Dorothy, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're talking about producing, directing. Was this something that women were really doing a lot, or were you sort of an outlier, this female director, not only directing an episode or, or two, but getting the whole season. Was that different? Yes, it was. You know, when I was became a member of the Directors Guild, there were only nine women who were directing four camera comedy television. And I was the first director to have an all-female booth. When I took over season two, there were two men in the job of assistant director and technical director. And these are the two people that sit on either side of the director in the booth. And these two men really resented the fact that me, a comedian, an actress, a friend of Fran, was being given a job that they felt they deserved. So these men were not helping me one bit. So at the end of season two, during the summer hiatus, the producer called me and said, are there any changes you would like to make before we go back to work in July? And I said, yes, you can find me two women for those two jobs and get rid of those two guys because they do not have my best interests at heart. And she said, I hear you. And she set up some interviews with some women and I hired two great gals who stayed with me the entire 75 episodes. And the DGA actually did a little article in their magazine about that, that fact that I had all women in those positions, which are traditionally really held by men. And, you know, the other interesting thing was I never wore a dress to direct. You know, I always felt I had to wear trousers and jackets and not to try to be a man, but just to play down, you know, the difference between me and, and the 200 men that basically I was in charge of. But I must say, after successfully directing three entire seasons of, of a hit show for CBS, I never got another job directing. I can only blame my age and my sex for that. You know, I started out the gate with people like Barnett Kelman, and he went on to be the executive producer of Candy Bergen's show. And I was the one woman in a, in a group of young men directors, and they all went on to have great careers in Hollywood. And, and mine came to an abrupt halt. My feelings were hurt, frankly. 
And I, five years later, after unsuccessfully, and people were like, oh, you didn't have the right agent. I was like, no, I had six different agents. You know, nobody could seem to break through for me. So when my last child went to college and my 20-year marriage to a French film producer broke up, I tucked my little tail between my legs and bought an old dairy farm in upstate New York and moved to Delaware County, New York. And that's really where I began to think about writing. Since nobody was offering me anything to either direct or act in, I thought, well, I just better create this stuff for myself. So my personal mandate as a playwright has always been to create good roles for me and my girlfriends, because I feel that women over, well, now over 70, <laughs> shocking, I'm turning 75 in a couple of weeks, that we're an underserved, you know, sort of area of population. Now, a couple of years ago, I played Sarah Jessica Parker's mother on her show, Divorce. And that was a wonderful experience. Love Sarah Jessica. And there was a woman director of that show. And she came up to me one of the days that we were working and she said, I just want you to know that you paved the way for me, that I am here doing this show because of what you did in the 80s. And I know about it. And thank you. And I just did an episode in um, October of a show which just dropped on Hulu called The Girl from Plainville, which is an extremely interesting uh, series, by the way. And when I was down in Savannah shooting that, that's produced by Elle Fanning, you know, who's 23 years old and producing an eight-part miniseries starring in it. And she hired all women directors for all eight of those episodes. And the young woman who directed the episode that I was acting in also came up to me and said, thank you. So th th that's been a happy fallout from, from it. Yeah, that must be gratifying that even though you could not get another directing job, that to know that you have this legacy, that people recognize what you did and and are thankful for that because before when I was preparing to talk with you, I, I, I didn't know that. And yeah, the 1990s, I mean, even today, yeah, I think it's a tough road for, for women, women of color or anything to really be the person in charge. So let's go from the dairy farm. Do you still have the dairy farm? You know, I just sold that farm like two years ago. My kids felt I was too old to be, you know, I, I raised eggs. I had a little egg business and, you know, they, they just wanted me off that farm. It was too far away from them. They, you know, didn't want me on that tractor anymore. You know? <laughs> so my son bought a 36 acre place uh, in Connecticut with uh, two homes on it. And they invited me to come and live in the second house on their property. And it had a, an old barn. So I put a new roof on the barn and made a put a bathroom in there and uh, moved my horses and built a chicken coop and moved my hens. And uh, so that's how I, I got from the dairy farm down to Connecticut. But I must say, I miss Delaware County, New York. It's up in the Catskill Mountains and it's beautiful. And I I lived there for 20 years, so I had really good friends there. And I really haven't found friends in Connecticut yet. I joined a group called the League of Professional Theater Women Connecticut Chapter. And I, through them, I have met some wonderful women. Yeah, that's uh, Lauren Yarger. Lauren, yeah. yep. Let's talk about the playwriting 
let's go to that phase since that is, I don't know, in your case, this might be uh, act three, act four. I, I, I kind of lost count of where, exactly. where you're at, but talk a little bit about what you're doing with the writing. You know, I'm just trying to be heard, trying to uh, share, you know, what I what I feel and what I think and, and what I know. All of the plays that I've written have, of course, a strong female lead at the, at the heart of it. And I wrote a play about an old dairy farmer whose kids want her off her farm. And we produced that at the Schoolhouse Theater in Westchester. And, you know, for, for five winters, I spent the winters down in San Miguel de Allende, down in Mexico. And there's a wonderful audience of retired Canadians, Brits, and Americans. There are 10,000 of them who love going out at night. I mean, the minute you announce your play, all the tickets are sold. And so I hooked up with a wonderful couple down there, and they produced theater. They had a company down there, and they let me do one of my plays every year that I was down there. So that's really where my plays were developed and honed. I was so lucky to have found that. And, and then the virus put a stop to all that. So I was writing a sequel to the farm play because at the, at the end of the farm play, the widowed dairy farmer is sent off to live in an expensive condo in Florida by her family. And as a complete, you know, fish out of water there. So people said, oh, we, we wonder what, what happens to that woman when she moves down to Florida. So, so I began to write the play set in the condo, Florida, down in Florida. And it had the same cast, basically, as the farm play. And the old farmer hasn't left the apartment since they moved her there. You know, she's miserable. She misses everything. And, and then because of the virus, I thought, well, nobody's going to produce a play with six characters in it where people are breathing on each other and sharing a meal and hugging. Uh, so I cut it down to two characters and set them on opposite balconies in this condo situation. And uh, it was the, the dairy farmer on her balcony and an older man on the balcony right across from her. And it's a play called We, we Have to Hurry, because at my age, believe me, I feel like I have to hurry. And I produced this play over Zoom starting last spring. And Elliot Gould and Kathleen Chalfant did the play the first time we did it. Then Alfred Molina and I did it the next time we did it. My idea was to do it once a month with different celebrities each month. And the third pair that did it, Joe Beth Williams and Harris Eulen. And these Broadway On Demand picked us up and took care of the screenings of it. And Playbill Online helped us quite a bit. We did that one in May, one in June, and one last July. And then, frankly, Broadway started talking about reopening. And I thought, oh, well, Zoom is over. So we didn't do any more after that. Also, it was August. Everybody was at the beach. You know, ticket sales were not what they had been. So we only did three of them. But that is a play that I would really like to produce physically in an actual theater because it's not about the pandemic, but it is set during the pandemic. The whole plot is, can the old man get the old woman to get in the elevator and come down and meet him on the beach, you know, for, for a walk in the moonlight? And they talk about all sorts of things and including her fears. You know that in Connecticut, there is so much theater. There's all these equity theaters, community theaters. And what you're talking about, it just seems this would be a natural for one of these theaters to pick up. 
I hope so. I would love it if that were true. I don't know, aside from my friend who runs the Ivoryton Playhouse, uh, you know, I'm just starting to kind of poke around in that world and see if I can't scare up some interest in any of the plays. Because frankly, if I do say so myself, (laughs) they're all pretty good. There are four little plays now. I have another wonderful one called Soft Landing about two old women who bought tickets to the moon from Elon Musk. And their adult children are furious, of course, because they're wasting all that money, (laughs) in their opinion. I go to the theater a lot. And just the descriptions of those couple of shows would seem like something I would want to see. Great premises. And, and like you said, the theater audience in Connecticut, you know, they're older adults. They're the ones that have that theater go and have it. And to have a show that maybe they can relate to better, it, it would seem unnatural. So I'm assuming everything we've talked about is what you're going to try and squeeze in during your presentation for Act Two. Yes. You know, uh, of course, as you rightly point out, this is not a second act for me. Uh, It's probably a fifth or sixth act, frankly. And I was thinking how, you know, if I were to break my life down, you know, would it be Minneapolis, New York, Hollywood, Connecticut, you know, how or or would it be the day Carol Burnett called me the day I met Franny? How would I divide it up my acts? But honestly, I just want to talk to them about my development as a woman and as a feminist. I think the strength of this talk is that everything you've said, it's that, you know, from your acting career, your directing, your producing as a feminist, here's what you had to do. Here's what you had to struggle through in order to try and get where you want to be. Also, I, I am going to read some little bits of the plays and talk about them. Dorothy, I want to thank you for coming on to the Broadway Buzz. This is very entertaining, very enlightening. I think people that come to the presentation will have a great enjoyment and be, like I said, highly entertained with your stories. So again, to let people know, this is at the Palace Theater on Wednesday, April 27th at 3 p.m. And it is part of their second act series. If you go to the Palace Theater's website, palacetheaterct.org, you can get information and you can call for tickets. So thank you for appearing on the Broadway Buzz. Stuart, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Take care now. You've been listening to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Waterbury Palace.